I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck has foils and attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott. Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd Alert! Hello there, it's Obi John Kenobi, your favorite host in all of podcastum, coming to you once again with your weekly Nerd Alert. Uh, welcome to the show. If it's your first time here, we're a bunch of nerds talking about nerdy stuff. Pretty much how it works. It's uh, it's pretty simple. It's uh, like, I don't know why you're confused by that. It's called Nerd Alert. What'd you expect? Anyway, nerds. Uh, I'm one of them. There's two more. It's a great intro. Uh, <laughs> first up, my right-hand man, the person who keeps the nerd and the talk nerdy to me network. Uh, uh, Commander Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Have you ever heard of a saccade? Or cicade. I'm honestly not sure how to pronounce it. I've heard of a cicada. No, not yeah, a cicada. Did. No, no, not a cicada. Did so a, a cicada or a cicade. Once again, I'm not entirely certain. It's spelled S A C C A D E. Okay. Is uh is a fast eye motion. Okay. Okay. And in case you didn't realize it, we are effectively blind for about three minutes cumulative a day. I've heard some different different numbers, but it comes out to about that averaging out. Because uh, there's a thing called saccade masking, which is as your eyes move, the image on the retina is sweeping the visual field, and it, and it, it causes a blurred image on the retina, uh, which is not much use to you, um, and it would honestly make the entire world look like a shaky cam uh, or a handheld cam every time you moved your eyes, which would be all the freaking time. So literally... Um, the eye has a mechanism that cuts off the processing of retinal images when it becomes blurred and humans become effectively blind during a saccade. So it's nature's turn off motion blur. Yes, it is nature's turn off motion blur. Yeah. That's just called a steady cam. It, it's, joking, it's joking. Na- yes, it's nature's study cam. It's, it's your brain <laughs> trying like to it. protect you from getting motion sickness every day of your life. Thank God. I lived through Cloverfield once. I don't know if I can do it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and with us, uh, by way of the time-traveling DeLorean coming to us from somewhere in time and space, it's the Doc. Say hello to my little friend. Was that Al Pacino? Yeah, it was. I'm sorry. Nice. No, no, no. I like it. I like it. That's, 
sounded it's like just, Frank Caliendo doing Al Pacino. I like it. That's what I was going for. <laughs> uh, you guys don't know it, but I just dunked my face into a mountain of cocaine before we started uh, recording. So You are hardcore in the 80s, aren't you, right now? Oh, man. You know, just <laughs> I got the rolled up suit jacket sleeves with the it's a parachute pants. Huge, like brightly colored T-shirt underneath. There you nice go. Theme playing in the background. Yep. Shoes yeah. and no socks. See now, I now that's dedication. Me personally, I would have gone with the cheaper, more you know, uh, budget oriented uh, powdered sugar uh, route uh, uh, yeah. versus cocaine. But you it's, know, a, hey, it's a different high. You know, <laughs> I do teach in the public school system, so readily accessible. They have it in vending machines in the teachers' lounge. Yes. Ah, nice. Cocaine, not powdered sugar, right? Both. Yeah. yeah it's either or. <laughs> Dealer's choice. It, it's more fun when you make glaze for your donuts. <laughs> anyway, together, our powers combined, we are talk. No, we are nerd alert. <laughs> Whew. Uh, good save, John. <clears throat> no one's going to tell that. Uh, we are nerd alert. Uh, and we're going to jump right into today's first and only topic because it's a big one. Uh, and full props to Commander Scott for coming up with it. Because honestly, the more I did homework for this, the more excited I got to talk about it. Um, let me set the stage a bit. Forever ago, uh, because time is meaningless to me now. Uh, forever ago, we did a story called "When Is a Marvel Movie Not a Marvel Movie," uh, which was my long-handed nerdy explanation of that not every movie made featuring a Marvel character is necessarily a Marvel Studios movie because it was a huge pet peeve of mine at the time. Uh, Fast forward a couple years and a few major corporate buyouts later, and that's all kind of a moot point. Uh, Like a cow's opinion, it doesn't matter. Uh, So (laughs) we're going to circle back around to that topic today. Uh, Everyone knows and loves the MCU. The Marvel Cinematic Universe got kickstarted in 2008 with Iron Man. It has dominated pop culture and the movies ever since. Uh, Shattering box office records, making giant household names of lower tier comic book heroes. You know, these aren't your Batman or your your Supermans. Uh, And and it has become something. There there are kids born today who will never know the world uh, without these characters. There are kids I used to work with. Uh, who were born in like uh, late '90s, early 2000s, who've literally grown up with the MCU. It's their, you know, Michael Keaton Batman. It's their Chris Reeve Superman. It's the MCU. We're old, but there was a time before the MCU. Yeah, we are. We're so old. Uh, there was a time before the MCU, before the Robert Downey Juniors and the Chris's, all of them, all the Chris's. Um, And that is the subject of today's show. We are going to break down our favorite, most beloved, uh, worth of your time. You should go back and check them out. Non-MCU Marvel movies. Uh, There's a lot of them. (laughs) and uh, There are a lot. uh, Yeah, uh, and not always so great. Um, So... We can go around the horn and list off our favorites. Or Scott, did you did you have a, a alternate way of disseminating this information? Well, a big word. You did. It was it was very well done. I I like alternate words and and words that we don't use in everyday conversation a lot, like disseminate. Very good, Jason. Did you ever have to do word pack in school? Um, 
if we if I did, I don't remember because I was probably too busy okay. studying for my timed multiplication tests. Nerd. Word pack? It was uh I was in advanced English and we had this thing called word pack where every week you'd get like ten new vocabulary words and you'd had to like use them in sentences and learn how to spell them, all that kind of stuff. So anytime I hear a big word that you could easily use other smaller words to describe, like disseminate. That's just my, 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 my spidey sense kicks up like, Oh, that's a word pack word. Like, you know, it's, yeah, I, I know what that means, but I'm never going to use it in conversation. That's uh, random tangent. Yeah. Word pack. No, I wasn't in advanced English. Cause I are math teacher. You don't spell so good. Sometimes I don't speak the words. Good. <laughs> Just like uh, my uh, my wife's uh, great aunt, I, I believe it's her great aunt, her uh, grandmother's, her maternal grandmother's sister. That's a great aunt, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, when when my wife and I got married at at the the bridal shower, she asked me where I was from, and I I told her I'm I'm from you know central Kentucky down here in in Lebanon, and she said, "Oh, well, you talk good." <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I should probably preface uh, that story with with that uh, my wife is from South Bend, Indiana, so not not quite as up north as as the dock, but <laughs> Lebanon, Lebanon, <laughs> not Lebanon. That's where the shooting was. No, it's, it's just like uh, Whitney. My uh, my wife is from Loretta, Kentucky. Yep, Loretta. Oh, in that word, but Loretta. Well, actually, there's not an A in the word. There is totally an O. Right. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. So th- th- this started, and, and the reason that I, I broached this subject was because I just recently got a new steelbook in that I purchased. Are we going to hit the ground running? We're going to hit the ground running with this. Yes! Because <laughs> I know where this is going. This is what this is what prompted this. <laughs> uh, I just, like I said, just bought a new steelbook. Uh, and actually, I watched it this afternoon while I was prepping for the show. I got a copy of Howard the Duck, 1986. I love this movie. Lucasfilm, fresh off the success of Star Wars, drunk yes. with power. Yes, we're right, right in, right in the expense of building the Skywalker Ranch, hoping Howard the Duck would put it back in the black. Just imagine being a kid and hearing. Is working with Marvel on some kind of movie and just thinking of like, oh my god, what could what could George Lucas be working on with Marvel? What what could it be? And then announcing in the trades because the internet didn't exist, Howard the Duck. Like, really? Okay. Stroke of genius. <laughs> but if it wasn't for Howard the Duck, we yes. would not have the Pixar Studios that we have today. That is true. Because it did prompt the, the 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 bombing of this movie in theaters, did uh, in the box office, did uh, provoke LucasArts to start selling off some assets. Uh, one of which was the uh, the LucasArts animation division, which eventually circled back around, became Pixar. Mm-hmm. Um, worked on before it was Pixar, uh, and then worked on uh, uh, which uh, actually I think they, they worked on Star Trek Two prior back when they were with Lucas Lucasfilm. Um but they got sold, became Pixar, and now they're they're a part of Disney. So as are all things in time. 
Uh, no, speaking I, of I, Power of the Duck and Assets, it also gave us Leah Thompson and Skimpy Underwear. So. It did. It gave us great Skimpy Underwear Leah Thompson. And this Can't is one thing I will it. never forgive Howard the Duck for. He interrupts her when she's trying to take her shirt off for him. He stops her. How dare he be a gentle duck? Don't worry, though. There are tits in the movie. There duck are. Tits. Duck tits. I forgot about the duck tits. Hashtag duck tits. <laughs> And you that's know. the title of this episode, <laughs> the one with duck tits. That's what it's going to be called. I'm like, Sorry. I'm like, I, I, I don't think I would mind the feathers. I could, that'd be nice. I can, I could do that. Oh God, I gotta stop drinking around you, Scott. Um, yeah, that's um, okay. Look, good is going to be a very relative term this show. Uh, oh, yeah. Howard the Duck is one of those movies that I think it, it's it grows on you. Because the first time you watch it, you're just kind of like, what the hell is this? Because uh, there's so many things happening in that movie. Just so many like plot points that don't necessarily connect, but we're going to force them to anyway. And Yeah, they just they just kind of they pop in for a couple of scenes and then they're abandoned because the next plot point pops up. It was over. Firmly in that era of all you needed for a plot was something wacky ends up in our world. Like that, that was your well, movie. Like, well, you can't, you can't force this movie into the ends up in our world trope because okay. the source material was the same story. Okay, this, this, this the source material. The, the the first appearance of Howard the Duck was uh i forget the name of it but it's one of those tales books that american comics under the marvel banner uh published um and he was actually he was pulled from his planet to earth uh by a a demon and i forget the demon's name but uh the demon was actually no it wasn't dormammu no that'd be too connected sir uh no it wasn't that connected but the the demon um uh if if you look um because the the main villain in the 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 story uh in the, in the movie uh is a demon from another dimension that gets accidentally freed and pulled into our world by the same laser that uh pulled Howard the Duck from his world uh is um from the spatial coordinates that he comes from is part of his name in the comics so so that that uh, I think they called it like a uh, destroyer of worlds or something in the movie, and I just watched it and I've already forgotten. Um, but uh, so that's he just watched mind. Howard the Duck, and what he remembers is Leah Thompson in her underwear and duck tits <laughs> and duck tits, <laughs> duck tits. And, and Tim Robbins randomly. <laughs> hey, Tim Robbins was phenomenal in that movie. He's giving it his all. I'll give him that. You know, uh, he's fresh off of Top Gun. Uh, what what are you gonna do next, Howard the Duck? That's where you go. You know, uh, uh, a uh, radio intercept officer on an F fourteen Tomcat to crazy lab assistant science wannabe dude in Howard the Duck. Man's got range. Yeah. What can I say? Um, but yeah. So as far as source material goes, the 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 core story from the comics is there. If it is uh, jumbled quite a bit like a word scramble um but so I, I don't think you can you can hook this movie into the trope of they come to our world i don't care if it started in the comics that's the plot of the movie so i'm gonna lump it in with beastmaster yeah. 2 masters of the universe 
I'm sure there's more. I just but, can't but think see, of Masters of the Universe, you know, the, the source material, uh, the, whichever source material you go off of, either the comics from the toys or the cartoon, neither one of them came to Earth. So, yeah, they used the trope in that one. Um, uh, Beastmaster, of course, is its own thing. I don't think there was a source material coming off of it. So, yeah, they used the trope. I get that. But when you're source material, that's the story. Then that's what you go with. But what I'm saying is that was a trend in the 80s where those kind of movies. So whether it started from the comics or not, the movie falls within that trend of it comes to our world movies. It does follow that trend. They and they you do, just want to put an asterisk by it because it started that way in the comics, but it still yeah. fits in that trend. They do, and they make full advantage of it. They yuck it up all the way through. I mean. Well, hell, they start out because everything on Duck World is a, a parody of it. You got, uh, what was it, Breeders of the Lost Yelp? Or the something? best kind of parody. Everything is a duck pun. Everything is a duck pun, yes. <laughs> is it Quack Fu he's a master of? The master of yes. Quack Fu, yes. Um, uh, so, anyway, that's where I started. Yeah. And I started looking and. You know, there's 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 quite a few of these movies uh, and stuff. So when I did my research and everything, I broke it down by era, starting in the the eighties to nineties and then the nineties up and stuff. So, but anyway, any other? That's how this started. Hey, Howard, the if we're talking non MCU Marvel movies, Howard the Duck is a great place to start. Which I'm uh, actually going to argue there is nothing okay. in that movie or his scenes in the MCU which discount this as part of the MCU. Okay, so until they say otherwise. Until they say otherwise, in my head, it's MCU. It's MCU. Is it Lucasfilm? Because that's Disney now, so there's one more connection. It is Lucasfilm, yeah. See, see, there you go. I'm with you, Scott. We're launching this campaign. Uh, until James Gunn <laughs> decides to do otherwise. Um, anything else from the 80s uh, before we jump? Any other significant Marvel movies you want to touch on? Uh, I know no. we can go back a little earlier. We had like, the, uh, the Spider-Man TV show and the Hulk TV show. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, we got a lot. Captain we got the stuff, TV show. stuff in the 70s and, and everything. And we can get into that at, at a later date. But as far as specific movies, I mean... You know, you've got The Incredible Hulk Returns, The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, Punisher, and Captain America. The 1990 Captain America with, uh, uh, what, Salinger was his name? Mark Salinger? I forget his first name, yeah. Uh, Not J.D. Salinger, though. No, it's his kid. Yeah. Um, uh, And things. And, like, The Incredible Hulk Returns and The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, I kind of liked those. Um, Those are just extended tv episodes they're made exactly they're made for tv episodes uh made for tv movies and things but uh in my opinion howard the duck was the highlight of that entire entire i mean howard the duck is great but it's no dolph lundgren sweaty naked meditating in a sewer punisher that's very true 1989 i uh I have a love-hate relationship with the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. I own it on Blu-ray because I have a love-hate relationship with it. It's uh, it's a terrible Punisher movie. It's a fun 80s action movie. Uh, it's got one of the best lines ever. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr. is talking to... He, he plays the former partner of Frank before Frank breaks bad and becomes Punisher, if I remember correctly. And yeah. Frank's been captured, and they have like a heart-to-heart. And uh, uh, Louis Gossett Jr., says to him uh, 
I'm going to paraphrase because I forget the exact quote. Something along the of uh, along the lines of, uh, you know, 57 murders in uh, you know whatever three months. What do you call that, Frank? And Frank just looks at him and just straight Dolph Lundgren deadpan goes, "A work in progress." Yeah, it's like, all yeah, right, yeah. movie, you got me with that one. <laughs> uh, it, it's Frank caught in a war between the ma the mafia, the Italian mafia, and the yakuza, which is not a bad story idea for the Punisher. Uh, but again, this movie really has nothing to do with the Punisher. It's a great action movie, not so much to get a Punisher movie. But uh, I think it might I, be better than Warzone. But uh, that later. Yeah, I have. Uh, I haven't seen Howard the Duck or that Punisher. <laughs> really, get to work, Jay. Yeah, you yeah. start with Howard the Duck. Start with maybe, Howard the Duck. Yes, maybe have a couple first. <laughs> um. So, but yeah, so then you got, of course, like I said, Captain America in 1990, uh, the Salinger kid and mm-hmm. everything. It was, it was okay. Uh, I don't think there's anything really to write home about, but low budget, but an earnest attempt to try to do Captain America justice. Yeah. They tried. You could the tell suit, they tried. Yeah. The, the suit for their budget is pretty comic accurate down to like the wings on the, the cowl Captain America. Yeah. And fun trivia. The uh, on the the Colbert report, which no longer exists, but Stephen Colbert's first show, uh, when he was given a shield by Marvel, the shield he was given was one of the leftover props from the 1990 Captain America. Oh wow, that's kind of don't cool. don't know if that made it to the set of his his new show, but uh, yeah, that was the uh, when, when he was given because that's how much of a nerd he is. Before the MCU broke big, he uh, that that's the shield Marvel gave him. Cool. cool. Um, of course, that brings us up to uh, I don't uh, the the big the big juicy bit of of non MCU Marvel movies. Is it from nineteen ninety four? No, nineteen ninety eight okay. is the next jump. Well, hold on, I got one from ninety four. I want like, oh, what did I miss? The first thing on my list, and this is going to be a sell, but. If we're coming off of Howard the Duck, just let me get my sales pitch. All right. 1994 would have been the release ah, okay. of the very first uh, incar- live action incarnation of the first family of Marvel, the Fantastic Four. Uh, <laughs> in a movie that has gone down in history as, as the movie that was quote never meant to be released unquote um basically what happened is marvel was going bankrupt the lawyers took over and as a way to make quick money started selling off the rights for marvel characters to movie studios and tv stations left right and center because it was a quick buck um and that's how the rights to the fantastic four ended up in the hands of the king of low-budget B-movies, Roger Corman, who put up, I think it was like somewhere between one and three million, uh, a huge amount for a Roger Corman movie, uh, put up money to make Fantastic Four, which is famous now for being the movie that never got released. Supposedly, it was so bad, so terrible, that Marvel paid Corman never to release it, to lock it away, uh, and just let the the rights go back to Marvel eventually. Thank goodness for rogue agents. 
no damn them this movie had posters up in theaters it had a trailer out in theaters this was going full steam ahead uh the actors were making appearances at comic book conventions to to pitch it um it never got officially released ever tv streaming nowhere this movie does not officially exist anywhere but somehow somehow by some small miracle a work print got leaked and this was back in the the 90s when again pre-internet days um as, as far as we can figure somebody at a a film uh, processing uh, facility was processing the film from this saw what it was and thought I'm gonna dupe me a copy of this and then that somehow well, got put onto VHS and leaked out well have you have, have you seen the have you seen the documentary I'm the, getting to that I'm getting to that I'm getting to that okay uh, it so, this. say what the, the documentary covers this how, how the, the print got how created. they think it got out because yeah. to this day no one's taking credit for it I could have sworn in the documentary they actually do take credit for it. Like the, the guys director, that... the director says what he thinks happened. Okay. Um, but no, so the, the movie, uh, the movie itself, it's the best on-screen incarnation of Doctor Doom we have ever gotten. I am not joking about that. Uh, you can keep your fan four sticks in your 2005 uh, uh, dude from Rip uh, 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 Nip Tuck. Uh, I don't care. This is the best, most comic book accurate version of Doctor Doom we've ever gotten to date. Not um, wrong. They they spent their budget where you would want to spend your budget. the The thing suit is a full on uh, animatronic suit, and it looks good. It looks on par with the animatronic suits from the '90s Ninja Turtles movie. Like it, it looks good for a 1994 physical suit. Um, no one told the cast this was a tax write-off bullshit. The cast is giving it their all. Even in scenes where they don't necessarily need to be giving it their all, they're giving it their all. Uh, there's some great performances here. Like I said, uh, the, the guy who played Reed and the guy who played Ben, uh, I believe, went to conventions to promote the movie. Uh, they were giving it their all to, to build up fan momentum for it. Uh, it gives us a sort of on-screen version of Mole Man. Um, called the jeweler because rights are funny. Uh, yeah, it's a goofy, funny movie. You're gonna laugh at it when it doesn't intend for you to be laughing at it because their suits are just sewn on spandex and they're not always necessarily like you know sewn very great. Like sometimes the the costumes are a little off center a little bit because it's all spandex. Uh, you only see Johnny Storm go full flame on once, and it's really bad early 90s cgi like tron level cgi um (laughs) again it's 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 cheesy it's corny it's low budget but it's earnest they are giving this movie their all they're not taking this like it's a joke they're not making fun of themselves they're really going for it and in that sense i think it's still the most entertaining fantastic four movie we've ever gotten the Fantastic them for themselves are inherently kind of goofy. So embrace that. Throw the, Get your illegally obtained copy because there's no way to get a legal copy. Um, but the internet exists, so you do the math. Uh, get a copy. Throw it on with some friends. You don't really have to pay attention to the plot because it's pretty paper thin. They're the good guys. The guy called Dr. Doom is the bad guy. 
shocking i know uh have fun with it it's a fun movie i would rather watch the roger corbin 94 or fantastic four movie a million times on a loop than ever watch fant four stick again because that movie is just boring and not fun it's corny and cheesy and bad as some of the effects are the 1994 roger corbin fantastic four is at least entertaining to watch that breaks my heart Little four stick. God, that movie's so terrible. Uh, Roger Corman famously is the guy who said a movie can be anything but boring. And I think that's all I need to say about selling this fantastic. Fat four stick is boring as shit. This movie is at least entertaining. Uh, and then as soon as you're done watching it, like like uh, Scott alluded to, there's a fantastic documentary called Doomed. Uh, is it Doomed, the story of the Fantastic Four? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, Fantastic document. Fantastic. Uh, it's a really good documentary all about how this movie came to be and then how this movie came not to be and then how it somehow got out and came to be again. Because uh, this movie has cult status uh, of, of being, I think it's most people's first bootleg you ever bought at a convention because there were no other options to ever see it. Uh, whether it was a, a, a ratty, you know, eight generations removed vhs or a you know slightly less degraded dvd burn of a you know sixth generation vhs um the movie exists somewhere physically as film reel i don't know who's got the rights to it anymore but in in a world where we're popping out snyder cuts and and letting um um richard donner come back and recut superman 2 20 years later give us the corman movie on blu-ray what well, could it possibly hurt? In the uh, in the documentary, the the actor that played Doom mm-hmm. um, has it did say uh, that if if that ever does happen, if it comes to light, and and whoever owns there has the master print ever wanted to do uh, release it and and do a, a, a high grade version, that he is more than willing to come back in and do the voice work necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to remaster Doom's vocals and to finish the 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 lines and the scenes that he didn't get to finish vocally. I forgot about that. No. Yeah. So the the poor guy is in a full on Doom face mask, uh, and they recorded audio on set. So a lot of it sounds kind of like this because he's talking <laughs> through a mask. And they, you know, in any real movie, you'd go back and, and loop that or ADR that. Uh, and by the time they got to doing ADR in this movie. I guess the people who were in the know were in the know that, yeah, it's never going to come. Uh, so they just never bothered to do it. Yeah, because like all the all the post-production just stopped on it. All the, the, the promotion just stopped on it. Uh, everything just stopped like on a dime uh, at, at very late in production. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I firmly believe, uh, I, I hold with the theory that, that one person presented in, in that documentary that they were full on, that it, it was never designed from the start to never be released. Yeah. That, that, that they, they did it with the intention that it was a, it was a plan B, that if the, if the primary deals that were being worked on fell through, they still had this and they still wanted it to be somewhat good, but they, they really had to control that budget and everything, which is why, you know, Corman got it and, and everything. But then the deals did go through and that's when they, that's when they put the kibosh on it. 
Yeah, it, it's it's for for decades it's been pitched or sold as as the movie you were never meant to see, and that you know the rumor was it was just done as a tax write off um, by the production company, and and yeah, Scott's one hundred percent right. Like, no, that's that's again, there's a whole documentary about this movie, and it's just as inter- it's more entertaining than any of the subsequent Fantastic Four movies ever made. Uh, fight me. Uh, go watch watch this movie. Find it. I'm sure you can get at least get the the Cliff Notes version on YouTube, and then go check out Doomed, the documentary about it. Um, which is funny. Super weird side note: all the footage of the movie in the documentary has to come from the trailer because the trailer got released, so they can show that. But any clip that isn't in the trailer they are technically violating some copyright because that was never distributed. So they can't show stuff that wasn't in the trailer without tipping their hand that they have a pirated version of a movie never released. I thought that was like blew my mind. It was interesting. Yeah. But check it out. It's a great double feature. Also has one of the best posters. No, it does, man. Like poster was awesome. Yeah, I remember running VHS tapes that had a trailer for this before you know, running because uh, you know, you'd have the when you rented a VHS tape, kids. Uh, that's before <laughs> you had streaming. Uh, you had to go get these little black boxes from a store and then take them home and run them through your VCR. Um, but I remember seeing previews for it and then never being able to find it at the video store. And that drove me nuts. I was in college before I stumbled onto a website all about it. I was like, oh, that's what happened. Uh, but I only knew the part of the story because there's a whole documentary to go watch about it. But yeah, um, so that's my my earnest case for And I, I do own the uh, earlier 2000 ones on, on DVD because I was that guy and I bought them. Uh, but honestly, if I'm sitting down and someone says, let's watch Fantastic Four, I'm going to put the Corman version in. I think it's I think it's the best. I've got the I've got both of the other Fantastic Fours as well, and I like them. Uh, I think they get uh, a, a very very bad uh, a bad rap. Uh, I, I don't think they're as bad as people like to poo on them. Um, but because and, and I say that because uh, uh, the. Uh, the main actors did have some decent, decent chemistry, um, and 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 stuff together. So they they work very well on screen. But you are correct that their version of Doctor Doom is a horrible letdown uh, for Doctor Doom, and the one from the the Corman Doctor Doom was spot on. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, this he... guy because he talks about you know the fact that he is in the mask so he has no facial expressions that he mm-hmm. can, he can act with so he has to act with his voice and his body language and he does it beautifully and that's how doom should be acted very over the top very uh, uh dramatic's not the word i'm looking for but no, shakespearean almost yeah. Like. okay yeah 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 you, you got to you got to project to the the fifth row on the back seats uh, yeah yeah no it it's I mean, look, and we'll dive into this at some point, I'm sure, but it, it took decades for producers and studios to learn that you'll make more money if you just turn into the skid and embrace the weirdness of the comics than if you try to fight against it 
and try to change the comics into something else. Yeah. Look at again, Fant Four Stick from what was it two thousand seventeen, whatever year that came out. Um, oh, the uh, the the newest, the, the newest Josh movie. Trank version. Yeah, uh, two thousand fifteen. Fifteen. There you go. Uh, that's very much someone trying to beat Fantastic Four into like a Christopher Nolan sci-fi movie box, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. You've got a well. Again, we'll get into this, but but even things that are a little weird and a little off. All if people like them, they like them because of that reason. And you got to just go with it. And the '94 Roger Corman Fantastic Four just goes with it. Why is there some little guy underground trying to steal diamonds and kidnap the thing's girlfriend? I don't know, but he is. Just go with it because he's the undermine. Oh wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, he's the jeweler. Wink, uh, wink. Uh, no, that's another fun thing I learned from the documentary. Called the jeweler because when they went to Marvel to get uh, Mole Man, Marvel wouldn't give him anything else. They were like, okay, you've got these characters under your agreement. We're not giving you any other character. So they had to rename him the jeweler. Um, but anyway, fine. lessons that would take decades for other studios to learn of just embrace the weirdness, the zaniness, the way, whatever, embrace the qualities of the comic book characters. When you're making your comic book adaptation, they already had down. They're like, why is Dr. Doom dressed like that? Cause that's, that's how he dresses. He's, comics. That's he's a snappy dresser. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is a beautiful ensemble. He's put together here today. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Sorry. So that was 94, 98. You said was your next one. Well, it's not really my next one. Or the next but, significant one? Yeah, so okay. this is going to bring us up to, I think, which is the bulk of everything we're going to talk about. Unless, I, I I don't mean to cut the doc off. I don't know if he had stuff to say about the Corman Fantastic Four or... Never no. seen it. Oh, my God. You need to watch that. And you were here for how long and I could have fixed it, Jam? Sorry. I, you know, I... That's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll take a copy up with us when we go to visit him. Yes. Uh, but anyway... So this is the era. Figured out I... your wedding presents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so th- this is the era that I think we're gonna uh, talk about the most because it's it's got quite a bit in it and, and stuff like that. But that brings us up to, you know, uh, from 1998 through 2008, starting with Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, and running to Punisher Warzone. So it's yeah. a lot to unpack. Well, well, once again, this is just the era. So like. Anything in this era? I don't know which. What do you have on your list from this era? Well, most of it. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna throw out my first, I guess, dabble with the Marvel characters right. without without actually knowing it was a Marvel character at the time, and that's the movie Blade. Ah, I remember yes. watching it. I'm pretty yes. sure I watched it with John. Yes. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, Wesley Snipes, he's got a samurai type sword. It's not exactly a samurai sword because it's very straight. It's a um, straight bladed weapon, yes. Uh it, he's got this got this great um what is it, a Mac ten? Yep. Uh he's just he's got a shotgun that shoots out silver stakes. Uh he wears sunglasses at night. Um because all cool people do. And you I mean, that opening scene, you know, it's like, hey, Blood Rave, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then 
he there's Wesley just standing there, and you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. not a drop of blood on him. Yeah, so uh, and then you're like, something's gonna happen, and then shit gets crazy. Now I'm gonna tell you that that CGI in that movie does not hold up, um, <laughs> not at all. Uh, <sighs> see the rub- fight with the blood. Rubbery guy. '90s people. There's nothing wrong with rubbery '90s people. Um, at the end when he oh, what's his name? Deacon Frost. Deacon Frost. Oh, who plays him? Turns into La Magra, the blood god. Uh, it's, um, ah, uh, crap. Nick something. Hold on. And anyway, like, if you go yeah. back and watch that fight again, the, the CGI is so bad. It could have been so much worse, too. That's actually yeah. the, uh, the redone ending, yeah. It's just like, you're like, oh, because wasn't there Stephen Dorff? Thank Dorf, you, Stephen Dorff. Because wasn't he supposed to turn into like some sort of giant blood bat vampire? No, he was thing? gonna he was gonna literally call forth like a blood tornado. That was the form of Lamagra. In the the third act was Blade fighting like a blood tornado. Yeah, tested even even before they done, finished the effects, it tested horribly. So then they came up with the idea of okay, well, what if it takes Stephen Dorff's physical form? And then we thankfully, thankfully, our third act big final fight is Blade fighting a powered up Deacon Frost with swords. Uh, and he can um, <laughs> Gumby blood affects uh, his limbs back on. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's just there's a lot of things that I really love about that movie. It worked for the T-1000. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> If they had a yeah. bit more of a budget, uh, <laughs> but just, yeah, yeah, that movie's great. Um, Whistler smoking a cigarette while he's spilling gas all over the place, filling up yep. the car because Chris Christopherson doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, not at all. Uh, um, that that uh, the scene after he rescues them there in the subway. Mm-hmm. Christ, I'm doing all over this shit. Somebody <laughs> get me a goddamn wheelchair. Wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I didn't. And like, I, like I said, I didn't even know it was a Marvel character until like John said something to me about it. And I was like, really? Oh, wow. I did you... not know that. And it's, I'm so glad you brought mind. that up, Jay. Uh, Cause as we, again, we were there for, it. Uh, but in the late nineties, early two thousand trend of, superhero movies really caught fire and i'm not saying they didn't exist before then they certainly did plenty of examples of them but it was around this time that two things happened one they started to make some money uh which is all that really means anything in hollywood and two the quality of them started to get much better uh as as much as we're we're crapping on the lamagra blood god (laughs) cgi uh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty dated by today's standards. However, the movie doesn't rely on the effects. No. The action is still awesome to watch. The performances are still great. The mood and the tone of the movie are still fun. It creates this whole underworld we don't know about of the vampire culture. You know, the effects are there. Some of them are not so great. I think, like, the ashing effects are a little hit or miss, depending on the scene. Uh, mm. But it, it doesn't rely on those. It also has plenty of physical... Uh, you know, guys in makeup and squibs and blood packs and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it, it's dated, but it, it, it doesn't like prop itself up on all the crappy CGI. So 
it ages a little better. Than yeah. Uh, and, and it was, it was good. I was just going to say, and of course it led us to the greatest non MCU Marvel movie ever blade Two. Well, hold on now. <laughs> hey, I think this is a great place to transition into Blade Two. After Blade, some some name? motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. So you just hold. <laughs> I just want to make sure somebody said that. Uh, no, because it does bring us directly to the greatest movie ever made, Blade Two, which I disagree with because I am not a big fan of Blade Two. How do I kick him from the chest? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I'll say no, it. look, I'll say it. I don't like Blade it, Two. It, it has long been the standing of this show. That Blade Two was the greatest movie ever made. Me and Karan did an entire episode defending it. Excuse um, me, sir. That was a yeah. different show. This this isn't all new. This is Nerd Alert, and 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 yes, and, there is and the Talk just... Nerdy to Me podcast network has long <laughs> sustained <laughs> that Blade Two is the greatest. And and just, let me just in quick summation. So Blade One, I think we're all in agreement. Great movie. Yeah, uh, and, and it movie. worked. Because, yes, it's a comic book movie, but it doesn't have what were, at the time, associated as being comic book tropes. Blade 1 is much more of a horror movie with some action elements mixed together. And, and yeah, he's he technically has a costume, and he has a lair, and he has an arch nemesis, and he has a blade mobile. But those those elements are very played down. It's much more, you know, it's a hard R uh, you know, people always talking about Deadpool being the first R-rated major superhero movie. Fuck you, Blade did it first. Uh, hard R horror movie with some cool action scenes thrown in. Blade 2, when you get Guillermo del Toro and and uh, you retain David Goyer, who wrote the first movie. David Goyer, the guy who wrote Dark City, fantastic underrated movie, wrote the entire Dark Knight trilogy. Um, stayed on to write Blade 2, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo comes in and brings this whole comic book aesthetic with him. And I don't mean like Ang Lee Hulk where we slice up the the, the screen into panels aesthetic, but Oof. it takes a little bit lighter tone. There's some more jokiness to it. Things get a little bit more fantastic and fancy. Uh, you know, Blades uh, in the first movie is very utilitarian. All of his, his gadgets and his, his weapons are very utilitarian. Second movie, they get a lot more stylized. Um, logic goes a little bit more out the window. As long as it looks cool, we don't care. Uh, I believe it has the first ever comic book movie retcon. I might be correct. Uh, I might be mistaken, but uh, somebody dies in Blade One, and the first I don't know five ten minutes of Blade Two, we're retconning them back to life. Yep. <laughs> uh, Which needed to be for. done. Yes, it did. <laughs> yes, it did. Very much so. Um, it introduces the Reapers, which are an awesome new version of vampires because vampires can get kind of old, and and this one brings some new life to them, and they're they're very prototypical of the uh, the vampires from the uh, the Strain trilogy that uh, Del Toro would go on to do. Um, His they're, they're vampires. Expands vampire. on everything from the first movie, so you get more of the. Yeah, they're they're a new strain of vampire. Um, uh, you get yeah. uh, more of the underworld, uh, the vampire world stuff. You get more of Blade and his weapons. You get the additions of Ron freaking Perlman and Donnie Yen and Norman Reedus. Uh, you get a BPRD uh, deep cut reference because uh, Norman Reedus walks around wearing a BPRD t-shirt the whole movie. Foreshadow, 
guess what the uh, Guillermo's next movie was. Uh, yeah. So when it comes to Blade Two, once again, yes, I, I'm I'm not going to try and, and diss the movie because it it is a good movie. It's a it's a great sequel. Um, I don't prefer it to Blade, and the the, the main reasons I don't are. Uh, Blade does get a little bit more one-liner ish in the second one. He's 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 a bit more lighter. He I like the more utilitarian Blade from the first movie. I prefer okay. that. But the big thing with me is I don't like when movies take the the adversaries or villains from the other movies, and now I have to team up with them to fight the even bigger bad. I would have preferred just seeing Blade go after the Reapers on his own, not and just not give us the whole vampire alliance because they're gonna betray you. I hate that shit. That just to me that puts me off of the movie. But I, don't, Scott, I don't like he it. Falls in love with the vampire. I don't care. I don't give a shit about the Romeo and Juliet. Ash in I, his I, arms. I, I, I don't. No, no, you can keep the West Side Story bullshit to yourself. <laughs> Uh, I don't need a Romeo and Juliet illusion in my blade. I don't. I don't it's, care. It's so sad. You heartless bastard. <laughs> just, just, just like the the worst part of the first Blade movie is the whole his mother thing. Keep your Batman out of my blade. I don't. That's the worst part. Yes. Yes, it <laughs> okay. is. Okay. Okay. Yes, it is. They just taken that entire character completely out as far as the the, the allusion to his mother thing. I mean, literally, they should have just called her Martha. It was, you know. Well, you're getting ahead of yourself now. <laughs> Jesus. But, uh, I mean, yeah. Blade 2, it's good. I, I'm not saying it's not good. I, I just, I don't think it's the best non-MCU uh, comic book movie made. I don't think it's as good as, as it gets hyped because of the whole, I have to team up with the vampires. And, oh, look, they actually betrayed me. Ooh. Just, Look, just fight the Reapers. Just give me the Reapers and let me see Blade kicking their ass. That's fair. You're entitled to your opinion. And that's fine. But Blade 2 was amazing. Uh, it gives us a far better villain than Deacon Frost in Nemec, uh, who has a much cooler story. And it, it, at a certain point in the movie, kind of takes over the movie. It, it sort of turns into a Nemec movie a little bit in the third act, where he goes in to inadvertently rescue Blade. Um, again, Ron freaking Perlman, uh, you get to see a lot more of, of how the vampire underworld works and, and you could make an argument. You could write those in without that plot element, but the whole thing of blade teaming with the vampires, he's using them as much as they're using him. Cause they'll get him into the world of the vampires deeper than he's ever been before. Like the whole thing where they take him to meet with, uh, uh, Demoschino, the head of the Vampire Order, and, and Blade's literally walking in with a trench coat lined with uh, Semtex, a plastic explosive, just in case. Uh, like, I'm firmly on the record loving Blade 2. Um, and that's fine. It's Which good. Is, as long as we all agree, don't watch Blade Trinity. Oh. <laughs> okay, that's out the window. But vampire dogs. No, that movie's trash. Thank you. It's uh, so I, bad. I was on the fence there, Jalen. Is he serious? Or is no, okay. no. They had to CGI uh, Wesley Snipes' eyes open because he refused to open his eyes for a scene. 
Yes, they did. Really? Jesus. I have not heard yeah. this story. Oh, God, yeah. Look up just YouTube Patton Oswald Blade Trinity. It's going to be more entertaining than watching Blade Trinity. Yeah. I do that. Yeah. It's it's so bad. Yeah. I mean, I've seen and Blade you... Trinity, and I, I, it was like, okay, I, I don't I don't care for it. And when I'm in the mood for Blade, I never, never think, hey, let's pop in Blade Trinity. But... Yeah, yep. it's yeah, bad. Okay, then that's uh brings us to 2002. <laughs> yes, it uh, does. Uh, my next one's 04, but I don't want to jump on anyone. Well, because yeah, no, my next one chronological order. I think my next okay. next one is 04, and I would not be surprised, John, if you and I have the same next pick. Does it involve one Thomas Jane? It just might. <laughs> Does it involve John Travolta? Oh God, yes. Roy freaking Schneider can't do any better than. Well, I mean, if he would have been, lived through more of the movie, I would yeah, yeah. exactly the Hulk. <laughs> Kevin um, Nash as the Russian. Oh yeah, it's that fight. Ben Foster as Spacker Dave. Rebecca Remain as Joan, and I know Cox is going to appreciate this one. John Panette as Bumpo. Thank you. Thank you. John Panette. Very underrated in that movie. Uh, he's, are we talking yeah. about the Punisher 2004? I think we are. Yes. The, that is the, not to step on your toes, John, but no, take it away. That, that was like my, Oh, Oh, this, this is a Marvel movie. Yes. Let's go see this. The previews, the trailers, just everything i was like yeah yeah i need to go see this because i i don't know if you guys knew this or not but i'm kind of a fan of the punisher i didn't know about you jay yeah i i didn't know if you knew uh it's i really loved it like that was like the first time i was like oh this is a comic book movie that's a little dark i like it yeah um where to start, man? Uh, this is look. It, it, <clears throat> I very much enjoy John Barenthal's incarnation of Frank Castle in season two of Daredevil. I think in two seasons of the Punisher Netflix show, uh, they had less actual Punisher than this movie does. Yeah, this one hour movie. Uh, and Thomas Jane will will. As much as I appreciate Dolph Lundgren naked meditating in a sewer, uh, Thomas Jane was a very big step up uh, as far as who you know the actor playing Frank Castle. Uh, and this is a rare Marvel movie in that it's not verbatim, but the story of this movie is very closely an adaptation of the story "Welcome Back, Frank" from the comics written by Garth Ennis. Yes. If you've never read a Punisher comic, just go read anything that says The Punisher written by Garth Ennis. It's going to be extreme. It's going to be yep. violent. It's yep. going to be over the top. And it's going to be amazing. Uh, and, and again, this movie isn't verbatim Welcome Back, Frank. But big sections of this movie, whole characters, are taken straight from Welcome Back, Frank and Garth Ennis's subsequent run on The Punisher. Which is something you don't see a lot of anymore. You see, uh, you know bits and pieces uh you know you see like the cherry picking technique of comic book based movies but this one is uh very much structurally welcome back friend what which is why i don't know why netflix screwed up the punisher oh as as bad as they did because so literally 
literally all you have to do to do a Punisher TV show um, is go get Garth Ennis's entire run of Punisher Max. Yep. And just go beginning to end because there's your all series. All volumes. Yep. It's 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 written for you. Yep. It's there. Just, just do it. Just film it. There's your series Bible. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm 110. Uh, I don't I don't. It, it again, and I talked about this earlier, but uh, it took a long time for people to learn. Stick with the comics. The comics worked. They resonated for with with readers for a reason. Don't try to reinvent the character to make the movie. Just make the character that's in the books. And and I don't mean to just I'm not trying to spend the whole time shitting on Netflix, but that both seasons of that Netflix Punisher show were garbage. That is not the Punisher remotely. This one two hour movie nails Frank Castle. Um, yeah. It's uh hold on, go through my notes. It, it, it Thomas Jane plays Frank Castle beautifully. You see him through all aspects of being Frank. You see him as the uh, husband and father. You see him as the the wary. Uh, I think he's an FBI agent, former Marine, um, who's who's you know hanging up his guns to go be a husband and a father. And he's sacrificed so much of his personal life for his his job and his career. He's putting all that behind him now. He's about to turn the page on, on a chapter in his life. Uh, and then you see all that horrifyingly stripped away from him uh intentionally like they they change things up a bit in the comics uh his family is gunned down in the crossfire of a mob shootout and this one it's intentional uh the people gunning for him are gunning for him and they're gunning for his whole family and it's it's horrific um and then you see throughout the rest of the movie thomas jane playing a shell of a man who has one thing left to live for, and that is revenge on the people who took his family away. <clears throat> uh, you see multiple instances of him about to put a gun on his mouth, but no, I've got, I've got this one mission I've got to finish. You see him just drinking himself into an early grave. Maybe not so much early. Uh, the way Thomas Jan is able to convey that, that guy who's just got one thing left to live for, and it's this mission. Because this movie does bring in a character who, in any a lesser movie, would be the love interest, which is uh, Rebecca Romaine as Joan. The, the you know she kind of takes an interest in him, but he very much is like, I am not what you're looking. For. I yeah. am not gonna be that guy. This but, any lesser movie, they would have written that into as you know him and Joan yeah. right off into the sunset. But at the same time, those those characters, those three characters, yes. uh, Rebecca Romaine, uh, John Panette, and I forget the other guy's name. Joan, Bump Owen, know. and Spacker Dave. Spacker Dave, is that his name, really? Yep. Okay. Um, first of all, not throwaway characters. No. Not one-dimensional characters. They serve a specific plot point and a, and a plot arc, and they are the ones that save Frank Castle in this story. Preach it. It's them. Um, you know, be, and, and it's it's because... Uh, uh, you get to that that arc where uh, uh, John Travolta, uh, what's his name? Howard Saint. Saint, yeah, because they go there and literally they're they're pulling out uh, old dude's piercings, and they still won't give him up. Yeah, and... people who have no, they, you know, they've known this guy for a week. They have no reason to def- to stick up for him, but in that span of time, he's he's fought off a abusive boyfriend from Joan. Which, and good which by the way can we just take a moment 
to recognize how hilarious that is. Like that's probably that and the Russian fight are probably two of my favorite. More we're favorite getting parts. to the Russian. But when he that dude's just like flipping that knife around, and then Thomas Jane just punches him in the face, and it's just yep. like, Deep. and then he slaps him on the nose with the butterfly knife. You just, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, it's but but yeah, like like Scott was saying, it's it's they're the thing that gives him the slightest tether to humanity, and the reason that, and this is again something I love in this. By the end of the movie. Again, all he had to live for was this mission of getting revenge. And and we, we see Frank being tactical. We see him gathering intel. We had that great torture, blowtorch, fake-out scene. Such uh, a great scene. Uh, so he's not just like brute force, just, oh, blow him up and gun him down. Like, he's got a plan. He has a strategy involved, uh, yeah. which is which, fun to see. Which that, that torture scene, what really <laughs> makes that torture scene is at the end when he cuts him loose and he sees the popsicle and he's like, you're not nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so his mission's done, and literally our hero, if you can that, is sitting there, mission done, putting a gun in his mouth. And the only thing that makes him stop from pulling that trigger is the the tentative connection he's got from his neighbors. That that there's there's still good in the world. There are still good people in this world, and it's still a shitty world that that takes advantage of them and victimizes them. And through his experiences with them, Frank becomes the Punisher. At the you know, end of the movie, standing on the bridge, giving his coda, uh, "What I do is not vengeance; it's punishment." And we see the birth of the Punisher. Yeah, if he'd only been allowed to continue as the Punisher, and we've gotten that sequel and the trilogy, and oh God, that would have been great. Yep. I mean, yeah. what was what was the short that he did? Dirty Laundry. Is that was yep. That was good, and that was just again like, featuring Ron Perlman. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Was it fifteen <laughs> minutes or something like that, or five? Yeah. Whatever the hell it was. And, and then, of course, we we got to get to we we got to talk about the uh, the the Russian fight is the dot yes. which is just one of the greatest point. action scenes ever. Yes, yes, and, and just just and and the fact that it's all done against John Panette lip syncing opera. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so Kevin Nash. Uh, from the WWE and WCW wrestler, or for those of you not into wrestling, Super Shredder from Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Us, uh, plays the character only known as the Russian. What is his character? He's a giant freaking Russian assassin who is apparently impervious to pain. <laughs> yeah. And they send him to kill Frank. Uh, and, and earlier in the movie, we see Frank setting up all these like hidden guns and things around his, uh, his, his apartment. Uh, uh, to fend off intruders you know he's he's prepared and then <laughs> as the scene plays out systematically he goes back to all these things we've seen him set up before and the russian just fucking wrecks all of them just yeah, yeah. the what is this like a i think it's like a 50 pound dumbbell yeah that he just drops on the barrel of that 357 and you're just like oh like, yeah. he hammers it he just he just Pins yeah. Frank's arm to the bench and just just hammers it and bends the barrel of it, and gives Frank time to look at it. He's just like to realize, yeah, what just happened. 
and he 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 just he swings a strike on that fastball of a grenade toss <laughs> right know. back in. right back into the room. Frank rolls into the cast iron tub. Oh, isn't is that when I can't remember? Is that when the record skips and they cut back to John? Yeah, yeah, the explosion, yeah, cause, yeah, because yeah, the explosion yeah makes the record skip. Yeah, and then they go back, and then he's like, "Well, what's going on?" And then he puts the needle back, and then it's straight back into dancing and lip syncing. <laughs> oh, yep. that's great. Uh, <laughs> I'm okay. He's not, and then he passes out. <laughs> um. Yeah, and it's again. So we talked about you know briefly. I do appreciate the the Dolph Lundgren ninety or eighty nine Punisher movie. But then, like I said, there it, it's an it's an okay action movie. It's a terrible Punisher movie. This movie at least remembered. Hey, this is a Punisher movie. We should have the Punisher being the Punisher. We should have him emblazoned with that skull on his chest at at least you know some point during this thing. And you do like they they do try to give the skull some meaning, uh, being that's the the t shirt his son gave him. Um, we do get that awesome scene at the end where he just, you know, he's, he's got this really nice orchestrated plan to get revenge. And this is the final act is just a, an assault on Howard Saints compound with all of his, his paid shooters there. And we get to see Frank go through as you would want to from the Punisher, an entire freaking arsenal of weapons in one like 10 minute scene. He yep. goes from a bow and arrow <laughs> to uh trip mines to knives uh, an M4, a grenade launcher, back to his 45s. Like he's a walking arsenal, which is exactly what you want from the Punisher. Uh, um, uh, and, and you know how how cold he can be when he's when he's doing this. You know, because yes. he has the he has the anti personnel mind that he wires up with uh, with with the the older son. You like a fit guy? You ever try calisthenics? Uh, I, I calisthenics. There you go. Yeah, isometrics. And the 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 line afterwards when yeah. Yeah. he says I killed your son and then you hear the boom and he goes both of them both of them. <laughs> um but can can we also get a shout out to how campy John Travolta played that character and like over the top he was as Howard Saint and, well he and, embraced it yeah if you enjoy John Travolta as a bad guy in Broken Arrow He's pretty much playing the same character in this movie. Or um, when he's Nick Caging it in Face Off. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, he's not quite that big. Right. Uh, but no, he's, I think John Travolta's uh, in everything he's a villain in. Um, but yeah, he's, it's, that was such a great first movie. It didn't do great financially. Uh, things stalled out. There was a sequel in the works. It was going to bring Frank to New York and get full on, you know, Punisher in New York, like you you know want to see from the comics. Uh, and things just stalled out and stalled out, and the script got rewritten and rewritten. Uh, and, and finally, when they were about to go on this project, Thomas Jane was still attached, and that final shooting script was so terrible that after I forget what what the span between movies was. Uh, but it was something like at least like six or eight years, something like that. Warzone comes out in 2008. Okay, so four years later. Uh, keep in mind, Thomas Jane is attached to the project for four some, you know, three, four years. Because, uh, yeah, no. Uh, I'd rather walk away from this project than make this movie. 
And that should tell you all you need to know about Punisher Warzone. I should also tell you all about, you know, all you need to know about Thomas Jane. Yeah. Um, but uh, if you like Punisher, Thomas Jane, then you will like uh, Thomas Jane, Punisher in space. So you should watch The Expanse. But it's all the same. <laughs> space Punisher, which space is Punisher. a real fucking comic because Marvel. <laughs> and, and if you like Thomas Jane, the Punisher... You should watch uh, Thomas Jane the Punisher underwater wrangling sharks. He's the shark Punisher. Deep the blue sea. Punisher. Deep blue sea. <laughs> Which came out before Punisher, but yes, you know, it did. whatever. <laughs> He's... It was one of his undercover DEA missions. You should just watch Thomas Jane and anything we're saying. That's Except for the Predator. Don't watch the Predator. <laughs> Warning. Just don't. Uh, but yeah, I love this movie. It never gets enough love. But when uh, Daredevil season two came out and, and Punisher was getting a whole bunch of new love from people and people started shitting on like, granted, there's plenty of bad Punisher projects. Uh, Punisher in the the uh, 90s Spider-Man cartoon was freaking horrible because yes. uh, one, one of the memorandums on that show was no real guns. So it's the Punisher with a uh, uh, Tony Stark-esque uh, automated battle van shooting him <laughs> laser cannons and stuff. It was so stupid. Uh, again, plenty of bad versions of the Punisher, but this is not one of them. This is maybe the most comic accurate version we've got of the Punisher. I love John Barenthal. I'd love to see him get a project worthy of him playing that role. Uh, but until that happens, Tom Jane is still my guy. Yep. It was good. Beautiful. All right. Um, uh, yeah. Where are we? Well, so, uh, I'm going to transition this a little bit from okay. Punisher uh, and, and very deep and dark because we've been dark here with Blade and Punisher and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to go to uh, uh, my, um, I, I guess you could call them my, my first and second picks when it comes to non-Marvel Marvel movies, not MCU okay. Marvel movies. Um, not in this order. But uh, this, I think, is when we, we, we first get a good good comic book movie that is is really a good 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 like actual comic book comic book movie and that's uh the uh, uh the two spider-man movies uh spider-man and spider-man 2 what wait they're, wasn't, they're both wasn't, wasn't there three spider-man movies uh well there was the amazing spider-man but but no there was a third there was spider-man 3 doesn't venom yeah, Sandman. Venom. And Sandman. And Captain uh, Stacy uh, and Gwen Stacy. And, and hold on, I'm trying to think of how many other new characters we introduced into one uh, movie. Yes, the, uh, uh, yeah, the uh, see, now oh, that. Oh. It uh, gave us Harry Goblin. Yeah, and it gave us uh, emo, emo, not, uh, emo Peter Parker. I'm, I'm not, every, when that movie came out, all the Halloween costumes toys and action figures he wasn't new green goblin or green goblin 2 they literally build it as hairy goblin which is a joke that kemp never let go wow so you can't bring that hairy up and goblin. not talk about hairy goblin he hadn't discovered mary yet hey <laughs> oh, i'll see so myself bad. out now how do i mute myself <laughs> yes kick yourself out for that thank you <laughs> Yes, Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man, yeah, Spider-Man 2. Yeah, uh, they were great. Um, you know, uh, yeah, Spider-Man's an origin story, and, and you can uh, you, you can say which will about origin stories, but they still get made. Uh, but you had Spider-Man being Spider-Man. You had, you know, the, the costume looked good. You had decent story. Um, 
Spider-Man 2, of course. In my opinion, this is the greatest non-MCU Marvel movie made. And in my opinion, this is uh, one of the top three comic book movies made, period. Um, Hell, we did a whole episode telling you why Spider-Man 2 was the best Spider-Man movie ever made. So Go back and find that episode. So I'm not going to get into rehashing anything from Spider-Man 2, but... You know, just between these two movies, I'm lumping these two movies as kind of one entry because they are they they bookend each other very well. They have great character arcs. Um, Spidey's in New York. You know, he he's got the iconic suit. He's got the Parker problems. He's got you know uh, everything in it. Um, they're both great, and they have uh, J.K. Simmons as uh, J. Jonah Jameson, which steals the whole show. Steals yeah. every time he's on camera. Love these movies. These are these are beautifully done movies, and from this era. And not to, not to gloss over, but yes, yeah, Spider-Man One is an origin story. But in what was that two thousand three when that came out? Two thousand two. Yeah. Okay. Superhero origin stories weren't as prevalent as they are now post MCU. We weren't getting a new origin story for a new hero every other year like we did when MCU was getting going. And, and as far as origin story movies go, you don't get much better than the first Spider-Man. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it, it, it's it's the origin story of origin stories. It's the one that everyone went to for. OK, how do we make uh, we got to we got to we have to write the origin for our, our new superhero. What should we do? Well, how did Spider-Man do it? Just do that. Like it uh, was, it's the de facto origin story. And and I'm just going to go ahead and say it because I know all three of us are thinking it. Damn it, when you have a Spider-Man movie and you don't say with great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> you're doing it wrong, damn it. We uh, we, we covered that in our Spider-Man 2 episode as well. Not as succinctly as you did, Doc. No, no, I you had did, a, I had yeah. a bit of a... I won't Just... repeat it, but <laughs> the Doc is at 110% correct. Oh, God. Don't skirt it. Just say the damn line. You can do a thing, but you don't do a thing, and the bad thing happens. Sorry. <laughs> Fucking hate that line. Uh, no, dude, and it, it is, is if you look back historically as, as where did this whole, how do we get where we are now with superhero movies, there's a direct line from Blade to one we didn't talk about yet, X-Men, and then Spider-Man, the first one, 2002, kicked the doors wide open. Spider-Man broke, shattered box office records when it came out. Uh, the sequel followed right after that, again, doing crazy huge numbers. And that's when suddenly Hollywood set up and goes, oh, oh, this is what you guys like? You like these superhero movies? Okay, we can churn out superhero movies. And yeah. then the, the Hollywood machine kicked into overdrive, and every superhero property got snatched up by uh, studios trying to be the next Spider-Man. And that led to a lot of the movies we're talking about now, because a lot of them, if you could bill it as from the people who brought you Spider-Man, which technically, yeah, it's Marvel. So like Punisher's the people who brought you Spider-Man, technically, if you draw a line back far enough, um, but it also got us. And I'm going to step on toes if people have it coming, but uh, Daredevil, Ghost Rider, um, the Fantastic Four movies, Elektra, Elektra. Yeah, the spinoffs. Yep. Horrible um, Horrible those movie. all came of an era where 
we knew comic book movies could make lots of money, but we hadn't quite figured out what to do and not what to do yet. And, and I, this period of time, I think, is is very much uh, the the wonder years of yeah. of comic book movies. We were kind of learning what to do and what not to do. Now, personally, I don't mind the Daredevil movie. Uh, no, I like it. I'll defend um, it, except for one scene. You know, um, personally, I I don't like my biggest complaint in in that movie is um, uh, the casting of Elektra because I'm not a big Jennifer Garner fan. The only reason she got that movie was a she was dating Ben Affleck at the time, and b she was very popular because of uh, uh, Alias, uh, which was, was an okay show. It's a show that got forgot got forgotten about real quick after it was over. Um, but. Colin Farrell as uh, Bullseye. Great casting, great performance, in my opinion. I love Bullseye. It's a character that gets totally underutilized in comic book movies. I want a bloody costume. <laughs> what's uh, what's your scene, John? That I okay. I am, I'm with I'm with Scott. I love all of the Ben Affleck Daredevil except uh, for one scene because. Everything leading up to this scene, you have a really interesting universe. Because, again, at the time, the template was kind of Spider-Man, which gets dark, but for the most part, is a light, kind of fun superhero movie. Daredevil. We see it's dark. It's gritty. Our hero gets the crap beat out of him. You know, He goes back to his, his, his apartment after being Daredevil, and he's popping pain meds he's a, he got a tooth knocked out he's sleeping in a, a sensory deprivation chamber it's it's very kind of like real world but he's the extraordinary element in it and that was really cool and then he tries to get Electra's phone number and we have a fucking hong kong wire foo balancing on seesaws in a playground in front of people in broad daylight kung fu fight to get her phone number yeah, yeah. the movie hey. hard left turns for this one scene personally i like this scene i hate this scene no. uh, again he's supposed to be a blind guy and he's doing this thing uh he's he's wire fooing it and it's okay. like uh no. meh? Now, granted, I, I will I will admit, and, and I will I will give you that the the whole wire foo aspect of of that fight was a bit over the top. I, I'll give you that. The whole daylight and him doing it as Matt Murdock did not bother me. In fact, I liked it, and the reason I did was because in the comics, he always did stuff as Matt Murdock that Matt Murdock should never be able to do. He was never very concerned with hiding his abilities. He always did shit. He even had some fights in the comics. Granted, not not quite that over-the-top fight in, in the comics, you know, as Matt Murdock, but he did. Uh, so it wasn't unheard of. Once again, I'll give you the over-the-top thing. It was, but I still liked it. I, I liked him doing but stuff. The idea that. of the two of them fighting over her phone number isn't inherently a bad because it's a way of, of connecting the two as... Matt Murdock and Electra, and then also priming us for them as Daredevil and Electra the Assassin. Okay, not a bad idea, but the way it's done is completely out of step with the entire rest of the tone, uh, movie. In, the tone of the entire rest of this movie. 
It is yeah. just, it is the sore thumb on this movie. And if you cut that scene or cut it down, I think it's a really great movie. It um, it does break tone. It does. Because we do so much right before that to again to establish that this isn't just like a carbon copy of Spider Man. This is, you know, we're doing things different. Um Yeah, I, but I, I loved how this movie uh depicted his his sonar sense or radar yes. sense, however you want to say it. Um, I love that he had to sleep in the sensory deprivation chamber because he couldn't turn it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so imagine basically not being able to shut your eyes. You know, you would see everything all the time. Um, uh, and even though I think the it, the performance of this character was surpassed by Vincent D'Onofrio, Michael Clark Duncan did an excellent job as Kingpin. Absolutely. Um. Because that's there's one thing that that you don't if unless you read the comics and stuff that nothing had ever portrayed it before and and they don't really call a lot of attention to it and that is that the kingpin in the comics is not fat nope he's built and he it's muscle he is very very on par he is approaching superhuman strength he's like a notch below Captain America's strength level in the comics. I mean, this man can 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 bench some weight. He is he's not somebody to be trifled with. No, he's he's yeah, like you said, he's he's a power lifter. He's not like just some fat, rotund, you know, chubby guy. And Michael Clark Duncan, yeah, again, for the time this movie was made, I don't know anybody else you could cast. Uh, he was pitch perfect for that role. Uh, he was loving being a villain, loving every minute he was on the screen. It was fantastic. Um, and I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about there's a couple seeds in this movie that would grow much later on into the MCU and that is first of all playing Foggy Nelson in this movie John Favreau who of course would go on to direct Iron Man and this movie produced or co-produced by Kevin Foggy yeah this movie if 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 Marvel ever does any kind of a multiverse thing, you know, maybe of madness or something, mm-hmm. uh, or where we have I don't know multiple timelines brought in and some kind of a variance authority that regulates them, this is one of the characters. If it was ever possible, I would love to see them cross over with somebody. But we all know Ben Affleck never goes back to a. He's never going to play Batman again, so we'll never get him back. <laughs> um, yeah. I would love that if Marvel just low-key had a shot of Ben Affleck back as Daredevil. I'd freaking love it. <sighs> yeah, this movie gets shit on a lot, but I, I love it. It's it's one of my favorites. I love Speaking it at the time. Of... I love it now. There's a director's cut I haven't seen that is supposedly more uh, in line with the director's original vision, which is more of a uh, gritty 70s uh, uh, action movie <clears throat> and less early 2000s poppy comic book movie. Um, I'm not sure if it lives up to that or not, but it's, I think it's worth a shot. Uh, if you've only ever seen Daredevil on the series, which is great, uh, I can't really talk too bad about the Netflix show, uh, but definitely go back and give this one a shot. Uh, it's it's fun. It's good. It's uh it's cheesy, corny, 2000s fun, 
But it could have been so much greater if they just would have let the director stick with that original tone, I think. Yeah. It was good. Well, yeah. I, I only have basically one more on my list from this era. All right. And it's the one that we have not yet talked about. Uh, the one that the, the the tone was a little different than what you thought it should be. Uh, it had some in-jokes if you loved the cartoon show or the comic. Um, of course, that's X-Men. This is my other Yeah. One. X-Men that, was good. I, I actually liked... I kind of liked X2 a little better than the first one. The first um, act of X2 is phenomenal. Yeah. But the the first X-Men, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, you kind of get the that like first couple episodes of the TV show vibe, um, but instead of uh, instead of it being Jubilee, it's Rogue. Well, I, I tell you, uh, th- there's there's two reasons that the the 2000 X Men really needs to stand out, and and it gets forgotten about a lot. Um, and that is, it was the first movie that I saw really, you know, that, that I noticed, I guess where the, the, the character's powers are not showcased visually. You get that great opening scene where, you know, uh, professor Xavier confronts Magneto, uh, in the hallway outside of, uh, uh, the, the chamber where the, uh, the, the mutant registration accords are being debated. Uh, and literally, you know, Patrick Stewart just 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 narrows his eyes, just just kind of just a little bit, and you can see he drifts off. There's no flashy, there's no CGI, there's no there's no other visual cue other than Patrick Stewart's acting. And then you get that really that really great close up of in the acting of uh, of Ian McClellan, you know, where he he taps his forehead and he's like, "You're sneaking around in here, Charles. What are you looking for?" That scene was just beautiful. Um, and as much as I love X-Men and John might know what I'm going to say, go for it, man. Uh, as much as I love X-Men, it was missing probably the greatest X-Men X-Men of all time. Cannonball Gambit. Uh, <laughs> Gambit's overrated. No, what? Uh, How dare you? You shut your mouth, sir. Hugely overrated, uh, yeah, which is why he's overrated. never going to get his own movie changed. Uh, no, I'll get... Uh, just, just to go back. So, yeah. X-Men came out in 2000, and you've got to put yourself back in the mindset of an audience in 2000. Uh, like, the, the first X-Men movie is maybe kind of boring to audiences now who are used to, like, you know, Infinity War, but X-Men is only two years removed from Batman and Robin. Yeah. And that, for audiences at the time, is the mindset when you say, this is a comic, a superhero comic book movie. Batman and Robin is the de facto what you think of. X-Men and and Blade before it and Spider-Man after it had a lot of heavy lifting of reshaping what comic book movie means to audiences. 
So the first one underplays a lot to go back with what Scott was talking about, where you don't get all fancy CGI with, with the powers when, when you first see them used. It underplays a lot. It's trying it, it to was. buy you into this world before we get to the, you know, Cyclops shooting lasers from his eyes and mystique yep. shape-shifting. And, you know, we build to that stuff. Yep. Um, which is, Jay, I think why you, you prefer X-Men too, because at that point we've got the audience on board, you've bought into the world, and now we can crank things up to 11 and we can get, you know, uh, uh, Wolverine going berserker on people and, you know, we can go a little more crazy with things. Uh, Plus that, that that opening scene with Nightcrawler. Yeah. Uh, it was great. Nightcrawler was great. Here, let's let's give a great character with the really well done CGI and an awesome scene. Then let's just never use him again for the rest of the damn movie. Basically. Um, and that's but, that's the downfall of X-Men is... There's so many characters in that universe, and fans kept crying out for their favorite character to get put in a movie. And I'll give true. Brian Singer credit for the most part. Uh, when he was in charge, a character wasn't in a movie unless they had a reason to be there. Yeah. There's, you could argue some exceptions to that, but for the most part, characters were there because they served a reason to the story, not just because you want to see them there. Well, and that's well, where things with X3, things started to go off the rails of just throw characters in because that's what the fans want to see. Plus, there's another aspect of the first X-Men in 2000, which I Mm -hmm. think is forgotten about a lot, that that it did um, was that everything all the way up until the release of the movie, everything that was potentially quote-unquote leaked, of course, in 2000, you didn't have all the the plethora of YouTube channels and 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 everything else in feeds that we have now that mm-hmm. just report and break down but everything that did come out about the plot of this movie what this movie was about was that Magneto was trying to get a hold of Wolverine that was the entire plot that's that's what everybody went into this knowing they went in knowing this and that was done on purpose and it culminates with that scene in the train car where Magneto attacks and he's got Logan held and he says, what do you want with me? And he says, my dear boy, whoever said I wanted you. Yep. Beautiful. Very well executed. But but that gets forgotten about quite a bit. Uh, no, and, and again, learn. the first movie is very tame by today's standard for a comic book movie, but it did that strategically because it, it, it was trying to show you, look, we can be comic book and still be serious. And for adults, it doesn't mean, you know, rubber suits and hammy acting. I mean, Sir Ian McKellen can have a scene playing chess with Patrick Stewart in a comic book movie. Yes. And that could be one of the most entertaining parts of said movie because they're amazing to watch together. And it um, ends with yeah. Patrick Stewart asking his students, have you ever heard of the Once and Future King? Mm-hmm. Which just encapsulates the entire story. Even though it probably went over most of the audience's heads. Go on. Elaborate. Well, it's the Arthur story. It's the Arthurian uh-huh. legends. You know. Uh, and everything. It's about uh, people reaching for more than, uh, than than what they overreaching, I guess is the, the 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 help me out here. Words are stopping. Mm-hmm. Use your word pack. I are a math teacher. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no this this movie 
is is great. It is, in my opinion, the best X Men movie that was made. Um, without getting into a huge discussion on it, uh, my my next favorite one after this would probably be Days of Future's Past. But yeah. on my part. Uh, I like I, mean, I like First Class a lot. Yeah, the X Men franchise is all over the map. Yeah, as far as continuity and quality control, um, and it's it's it is what it is. Um, it is. Other than the MCU, it is the longest running, continuous, uh, uh, in continuity comic book movie franchise. Um, even though it had to spend an entire movie hard retconning the previous three uh, to get things better. Three and a half to get things back on track, um, and yeah. sadly, it it you know for being so monumentous in getting credibility back to the superhero genre. Sadly, the whole franchise kind of ended on a whimper. Um, I've last still not weekend seen... with the New Mutants. I, I've still not seen uh, Dark Phoenix yet. I Neither have I. I haven't. I, uh, I haven't watched anything after Days of Future Past. And that should tell you all you need to know about how the X-Men franchise closed out. Yeah. As we sit here, blowing sunshine up the ass of X-Men 1, and none of us have even finished watching the series at this point. Yeah. Uh, I um, skipped an entire movie and went to go see New Mutants, which was supposed to be the start to a new subset of this series, but that's not happening anymore. Um, yeah, it's it's really all over the map. Um First class was a really good revamp. Uh, Jay, uh, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, but then Scott, I sense has some issues. I, so yeah, I have a huge issue with first class. I like aspects of it. Okay. Um, uh, but the biggest problem that I have with it is that so it takes place in um. 1963, correct? Sure. Because it's 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 in 1960 something. Yep. Yeah, because it's it's right around the Bay of Pigs. Uh, Kennedy is still president and everything, and so you have uh, Emma Frost and uh, and uh, uh, Sebastian Sebastian Shaw um, from the Hellfire Club, which I thought was a really good use. I was like, oh hey, we're going to do the Hellfire Club. We're not just focusing on the the League of the League of Evil Mutants or whatever, um, but uh, so they blackmail a general into casting his vote to put missiles into Turkey just off the Russian border, which would provoke Russia to send missiles into Cuba. This is complete bullshit. Because, Scott. because because the, the 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 missiles that we had in Turkey had been there since the end of World War II and the start of the Cold War. They've been there for almost twenty years. They were part of our defense pact with Turkey, and their removal because they were scheduled for removal in nineteen sixty three. Anyway, their removal was part of the under the table deal between Kennedy and Khrushchev. 
to remove the missiles from Cuba with the caveat that they be removed six months after so that there was no public connection. Now, of course, all this has been revealed since then, but in 1963, this information was completely classified above top secret. So why we have the beginning of this movie prior to the, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis coming off of the Bay of Pigs um, with, oh, you need to cast your vote to, to put the missiles there so that we can have our agenda. Fuck you, they've been there for 20 goddamn years and it makes no damn sense. If you ever wondered why I say Scott Cox keeps the nerd and talk nerdy to me, there you go. There's your sign. <laughs> That's his issue with X-Men First Class. Not the casting or bad special effects or bad costumes or characters not being portrayed correctly. That is his problem. That's it. The others I can forgive. Uh, Scott, don't ever yeah. change. <laughs> my... Uh, my... My big gripe with the X-Men series is the hard-on that X-Men got for Wolverine for a while there. Not just X-Men, everybody. The entire... And with with the exception of Logan, they're garbage movies. I'm going to fight you on that one. Uh Yeah, I like the Wolverine. I do, too. It's on my list. Really? I like Logan. We all agree X-Men Origins Wolverine is garbage. Don't ever watch it. Horrible. Even though it does finally give you Gambit. Yeah. Huh, Jay? It's your favorite. No. This guy's no. Gambit. No. Yeah. We no. gave you Gambit. What do you want? No. Give no. us your money. We gave no. you Gambit. No, John. No. And that, and that was a conversation between 20th Century Fox and the audience circa whatever year that movie came out. I <laughs> know uh, that's trash, but I, I really enjoy the which is the second movie in the Wolverine solo spinoff trilogy. Uh, where he they did an adaptation of the Japan storyline uh, from the comics. Uh, granted, yeah, Silver Surfer ended up being pretty dumb at the end of the movie. I, I like Silver it. Silver Samurai. Uh, that was kind of a letdown, but Wolverine fighting ninjas in Japan? I, I don't mind him fighting a giant sword-wielding mech, but don't call it Silver Samurai. Give me a, a dude dressed in armor with a sword who can teleport. That's a cool fight. That is a cool fight, and and I agree. I, they they could have done that quite easily because obviously they they can do teleporting. We we see that with uh, with Nightcrawler. Yeah. Um. But uh, uh, I, I didn't mind the the Silver Samurai mech. It it was it was okay. Just take all um, the money you spent on a bad CGI mech and put it into some decent teleportation effects and cast a really cool uh, uh, sword fight guy to be Silver Samurai. Call it a day. But no, it's um, okay. Speaking of teleporting, I'm gonna I'm gonna yes side jump over here just just okay. for a second and, uh, and talk about or I'm bamf. Gonna You're gonna bamf. I'm gonna bamf. Yes, very good, very good. <laughs> I, I I applaud your your bringing in bamf. So it's all about the onomatopoeia, kids. It's another word pack word for you. Um, as much as I did like Nightcrawler in X2, uh, I really disliked Nightcrawler in uh, Apocalypse. Um, because in the comics, there's two things that that movie ignored when it came to Nightcrawler. And, oh, and God, X2, I forgot about X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah, and X, X2 ignored it a little bit. But in, in, in Apocalypse, first of all, Nightcrawler is, is bamfing all over the place in this movie. He's one bamf motherfucker. He's one bamf motherfucker. Um, 
to the point that he's doing stuff that his his alter, his comics version can't do because in the comics he's limited by line of sight. Because if he now not to say he can't teleport where he can't see, but the problem is unless he is really sure about where he's popping in, he can materialize inside solid matter, and it's happened before, and it's not pleasant. It, it damn near killed him. Mm-hmm. And then they address that in the next two. The next two, yes, but mm-hmm. not in not in Apocalypse. In Apocalypse, he's just teleporting all willy-nilly wherever the fuck he wants. Like, inside buildings, outside buildings, he's going here, he's going there, he's going everywhere. Um, and two, in neither of those movies did anyone ever address the sulfur smell. Because his teleportation is him going into a demon dimension and then coming out of a demon dimension. And so the uh the 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 sulfur uh demonic rotten egg smell from that realm kind of kind of seeps through when he when he opens the the portal just enough um to slip through the the to whatever you know goes from point a to point b to the point that in the comics for a long time he was never allowed to teleport inside the mansion unless it was actively being attacked and it was an emergency because he had the place smelling like rotten eggs, like like his first week there. Fair enough. I mean, again, this is why <laughs> Commander Scott puts the nerd. Anyway, but anyway, yeah. sorry. Uh, no, hey, hey, you tangent where you need to tangent. That's what the show is about. I went off uh, for what, like, fifteen minutes about the great power, great responsibility speech in that episode. So I cannot begrudge you. For having your tirades, it's fine. Uh, All right, uh, yeah, the Wolverine I did like. I think it's, and I think it's, it's largely been forgotten. People remember how crappy the first one was, and everyone loses their shit for Logan, which I hate, uh, and I know I'm in the minority on that. Fucking hate Logan. Um, good riddance. Uh, that movie's so stupid and so far up its own ass. I can't stand it. I, uh, I don't hate Logan, but it, I'm not a fan of it. Partly because between. Logan and X2, is that her name? In, in the comics? X23. X23, thank you. Um, there's more grunting and growling than dialogue. They scream way too much in that movie for my taste. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of Logan at all. Uh, I think conceptually, from the ground up, that was a, a dumb movie to make. But whatever it's going to be his last ride as the character do whatever you everyone else seems to love it whatever uh i just remember being in the theater when the girl next to me gasped and started crying when they killed xavier and i'm like isn't this like the third time we watched him die why are we why are we sad why are you all oh no and then when he died at the end of the movie i was like what the fuck did you think was gonna happen uh no i'm not a fan of logan but i do appreciate the wolverine i think it gave us perhaps the most comic accurate version of the character we've gotten in in a movie. Uh, because and like Jay pointed out earlier, the X-Men franchise as a whole, um, Hugh Jackman was the runaway star of that first movie. And at Wolverine, especially at that time and still arguably today is the most popular X-Men character. So he took a spotlight in the first three movies of the X-Men franchise. And I let the first one go because to do X-Men in 2000 and not have Wolverine be front and center, people would have been livid. Okay, fine. X2, I let it go because we're following through on the plot threads we started in X-Men 1. Okay, cool, fine. 
X3 was a hot mess start to finish, so whatever. But every X-Men movie, we kept coming back to it centering on Wolverine because traditional studio thinking it's a franchise who's who's the star of the franchise. Oh, it's Hugh Jackman. No, it's X-Men. It's an ensemble cast. Everyone is supposed to be the star. Certain stories are supposed to focus on different characters, but it's all about them as a collective, not about one person. And that, I think, is the single greatest mistake of the X-Men franchise is for so long, we got dead centered on Wolverine, and that was it. Well, not Uh, to mention the fact that after 2000, when X-Men hit popular and everything, you couldn't throw a stone at a comic book without hitting Wolverine. He was in, he had like, what, two solo titles? He was on like three team titles. He was in the Avengers. To be fair, to be fair, it was that way before too wolverine was fucking everywhere in the comics because he's, he he's a hugely popular character but not to the extent he was after no he became well that's it's that's the 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 movie factor it's comic book fans love the character for you know the reasons you love a comic book character then the movie comes out and now he's not just a comic book reader's favorite he's the the mainstream favorite character because he keeps getting all the it's the tommy oliver complex uh, uh, Power Rangers is all about the team and then Tommy Oliver comes along and now it's just about the Green Ranger. That's all we care about. That's all we're going to focus on is the Green Ranger and the show, you know, loses all the other. Everyone <laughs> else doesn't matter. It's Tommy and the rest of the Power Rangers. That's what. That's what, exactly what happened with Wolverine and the X-Men is it was the, the Wolverine show featuring the X-Men somewhere, maybe. Uh, and then fucking we could not get off Magneto as a villain. How many, there's what true. eight, nine X Men movies in that franchise, and out of all those, Magneto's the bad guy, and it three fourths of them. I see. He's the the villain in the first one, <laughs> villain in the second one, yep. villain in the villain third, third one. one. He's uh, the fourth one. He he he's sort of on the side with with uh, the heroes, right. and then he turns villain at the end. Yeah, but he's not the villain of the story. That's that's very much Sebastian Shaw. I'm going to give you a half point there. Um, Isn't the, he a villain in Apocalypse? I've never seen Apocalypse. No, but... no he's, not he's a horseman apocalypse. of the Apocalypse. No, he's he's not a horseman. Yes, he is. In the movie, he is. Is he? Yes, because you got you got Angel to Archangel. Mm-hmm. You've got a, you've got uh, Storm become in the movie. Storm, Storm becomes yeah. one. Archangel, Magneto, Psylocke. Psylocke. Psylocke is one of the horsemen. Yeah, the other one's Magneto. Uh, okay, because yeah. we had to have Magneto as a villain. Um. Uh. So yeah, one, two, three. Um. Uh, five ish. I'm sorry. Yeah, five ish. Because it, it takes a hard left turn. Like the the main plot kind of gets resolved, and then all of a sudden Magneto just goes full Magneto on everybody. Yeah. Point being, too many goddamn movies with the same villain. Yeah, because right in Days of Future Past, he's yeah, that's five. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which there, there's, there's all kinds of other great X Men villains you could have explored. Now, Mister Sinister, Sinister, yeah. yes. Um, Which they kept but, teasing no, in later movies, and we never got around to. Yeah. Um, Hell, even spoiler: New Mutants teases Mister Sinister. <laughs> 
uh, one of my favorite uh, X Men villains, uh, though I don't know exactly how you would do it on on screen, but I'm sure somebody could could do it well. Is Arcade? Yeah, Mojo, Mojo, Mojo World. Hey, if we don't, if we get Mojo and don't get X Babies, something's wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, just there's, and again, that's that's the the great crime and wasted opportunity of the entire X Men franchise for the almost two decades it spanned was we we got locked into Xavier Magneto Wolverine and every now yeah we we'd throw some new characters in maybe they'll for a movie or two but everything revolved around Xavier Magneto Wolverine yeah and we did you know so many other great characters who had great casting and just never had anything to do to yeah. within their own movie but uh <sighs> um, trying to think. Yeah, so I, on my list, I had both Days of Future Past and the Wolverine. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about them, but they're definitely X Men movies worth watching. Um, yeah, and then the one I'm not going to talk about at all because you've already seen it, Deadpool. Yeah, is still tangentially connected to the X Men universe. Um, still, as of right now, at the time of this recording. Still not technically an MCU movie, um, but worth a watch anyway. I still hope they use Deadpool as some sort of basis for what they do with uh, um, bringing the X-Men in because Colossus is wonderful in those movies. He is one of my favorite X-Men, if not my favorite X-Men, and you know, to finally see him realized on screen uh, was was beautiful. Um, I mean, Aluminum Man in the other ones was a, an interesting concept, I guess. But yeah, Colossus is, was and that's beautiful. no, that's that's my because what's great about Colossus in the Deadpool movies, is Colossus is a character. He's not a special effect who's there for one scene and then disappears. He's an actual character who serves a point to the plot. Who has uh, uh, not necessarily an arc, but he serves the plot of our hero. He's a fully realized character. He's not guy who is here for a cameo to hit some stuff and then disappear. Yeah, um, and that's that's the problem with the, so many of the characters in the X Men franchise is they're there for maybe one cool scene and then nothing else. Like even even uh, first class, that amazing scene with Quicksilver, and then okay, thanks, we're gonna send you home now. Yeah, that was Days of Future's Past. Was it? Yeah, he's yeah. not. In, he's not in first class. Whatever wasn't they he, all blur together. A... Whatever X Men movie, Quicksilver. He's in Apocalypse, wasn't he? He's in both of them for one yeah. cool scene and then yeah. disappears for, for one scene and then he's gone. Yep. Just like uh, Nightcrawler in X Two, he's there for yep. one scene to showcase his powers and that's it. Um, yeah. But no, it, it, and and the fact that his personality is fully realized, you get to see how goody two shoes he actually is because he's a very goody two shoes character in the comics. Yeah, he may have been a. They may have played it up a little bit in Deadpool for the comedic effect, um, but I still liked it. I still loved it. I think every day is be hero. Wake up, be hero. Brutish teeth, be hero. <laughs> Love that speech. The fact Even it gets the, cut off at the end. It's a great speech. <sighs> Deadpool, you know, goes pulls his fist back, clang, and starts feeling his crotch, <laughs> and then he breaks every limb he has trying to punch him. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I'm with you. 
Um, we know at some point down the road we're going to get a whole man, and I think at this point it's it's about time. Uh, I think that franchise, even even before the <clears throat> Disney Fox buyout, the X Men franchise was really losing. Um, to, the, <laughs> to the point where I'm forgetting movies existed. I'm forgetting what scene happened because we're we're playing that. You know, the, the X Men universe has more to do with like the James Bond universe of continuity. Where yeah, sure, it all happened. We're probably not going to talk about it in the next movie, but it happened. Sure, yeah, okay. It's continuity. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get off that train. Um, any other big things anyone wants to, to toss out? Um, I think we've hit all my high now. Yeah. Um, the only note I have that we didn't quite get to, um, 2006, an animated direct-to-video movie called Ultimate Avengers kicked off a Marvel Lionsgate animated cinematic universe. Um, they're no MCU, but Ultimate Avengers from 2006 was a direct adaptation of the first two storylines from the comic book The Ultimates, which the ultimate comic book line in Marvel came around in early 2000s. I forget the exact year. Which was a, was it early 2000s? I can't remember exactly what, uh, but it was a the whole idea, the whole premise was we're going to do a ground up reboot of our main, our, our, our most popular characters in their own universe. This isn't main Marvel continuity universe, this is its own thing. So rather than Peter Parker being a teenager back in the 60s, whenever he was, it's Peter Parker as a teenager in the mid-2000s. And uh, it launched with Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four. I thought there was one other. And then The Ultimates, which was their version of The Avengers. And then an early Phase 1 MCU borrows heavily from the Ultimate Universe because that was sort of the idea is okay if you're going to do these characters from the ground up now in a modern setting how would you do this how would you reinvent them a little and the whole mantra for the ultimate universe was you can do anything in the ultimate universe you can do stuff you could never do in the mainstream universe because it's the ultimate universe it's its own thing um it's probably its biggest legacy is it introduced the character of miles spider-man into the whole world uh, who was so popular that even after the entire Ultimate Universe got shut down, they moved Miles over to the mainstream universe because he was so popular. But Ultimate Avengers from 2006, animated movie. It's an adaptation of the first two storylines from the Ultimates. Uh, it's really cool. It's got a great voice cast. Uh, they went with known voice actors, not celebrity voice actors. Uh, so you have Nolan North and Fred Tet. How was his name wrong? Tetascori. Um playing characters. It's a really cool animated movie. There's a sequel um, that's kind of its own thing, but at launch there was a Doctor Strange animated movie, an Iron Man animated movie. I thought there was maybe one more I'm forgetting about. Uh, but in the like 2006 to 2009-ish range, Marvel and Lionsgate had a bunch of animated movies that are all pretty cool. Uh, so if, if you want some more Doctor Strange action and you don't want to wait however long it takes to get Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, check out the Lionsgate animated movie. Uh, if you're dying for some more Avengers and maybe some alternate takes on some of the Avengers, um, check this one out. All right. That is that is my list. That is, I think we've gotten everything I had to say. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> 
but also, uh, the, yeah, the cocaine's starting to wear, wear off. So. <laughs> so there you go. Um, in the world before the MCU, all was not lost. Uh, there's there's a lot of garbage out there, really. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff where you just license to character give a shit about comic book accuracy or what the fans had to say. You just want to walk off of it. Um, but there were some gems out there. And yeah, those are the ones we think you should give a shot to. Yeah, there's a lot of good out there. Don't don't just stick with the MCU. Go go explore the world before. Before the yeah. dark times. Before the empire. <laughs> this was the dark times. <laughs> uh when uh <laughs> when galactus was a cloud in space because that was more believable uh, before we thought audiences would believe that a tree could talk and a raccoon could have foul language and people would be okay with it um yeah i mean these a lot of these movies paved the way did the heavy lifting that got us to the mcu and like i said uh when i talked we talked about daredevil Kevin Feige was a producer on a lot of those movies. Um, so he he learned very much what works, what doesn't work, what you should do, what you should not do. Um, lesson number one, never work with Avi Arad. That's for a different story. Um, or a story for a different episode. But there you go. Let us know, are there any we missed? Are there any you think we forgot about? Are there any you disagree with us and you think we're dead wrong on? Let us know. Uh, but there's our list of the best non-MCU Marvel. Commander Scott, thank you for keeping our facts straight about um, strategic missile placement in the 60s. Anytime. <laughs> the Doc, uh, thanks for saving your last bump for us today. Just just walk away. Just walk away. Sorry, I, I, I don't know why I got Road Warrior stuck in my head all of a sudden. It just... I, I don't know, right right now, I I I really wish we could close with uh, uh, or we really should close with that uh, the the song from uh, the Punisher by the, uh, the 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 Johnny Cash assassin. Oh yeah. I can hear what you're thinking. All your doubts and fears. If you look in my eyes in time, you'll find the reason I'm here. And in time, all things shall pass away. In time, you may come back someday to live once more or die once more. But in time your time will be known